Hello and welcome to Podiatry Practice Mastery. Uh, we have here today Dr. Bill McCann, and he is from in New Hampshire. I'm in Massachusetts, so welcome, Bill. Thank you, Don. Good to be with you. And uh, we're going to be talking today. And I remember even as a student going to the lectures that you've given on uh, in-office dispensing, and it was always a very interesting topic. And a lot of people now, as there's reduced reimbursement. It's, it's always the same question. How can I kind of help my patients more and, and provide more service to them? And in-office dispensing is something that, that could deal with that. So tell me, Bill, how, how did you get into it and kind of your history and how it's kind of evolved? When I first started in practice 30 years ago, uh, I, I, I wanted to do some in-office dispensing right out of the gate. None was being done in the, in the uh, practice that I joined, which had two other doctors in it. And I joined as the third doctor in Concord, New Hampshire. During my residency program, one of my mentors, Bob Purdy, was doing in-office dispensing and had several products that they used frequently with patients. Uh, you know, simple things like uh, a, a moisturizing cream, so, such as uh, hydrocinol or sorbidon hydrate, uh, other uh, uh, antibiotic creams, uh, things as simple as neosporin or even silvidine. Um, it wasn't much, but they had a few things that they did, and that was growing for them, uh, foot soaks, et cetera. I, 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 the concept really, it, it grabbed me, and, and, and Bob Purdy was great. He really, he really showed me how to do this and, and what they did, and it was really a simple program. I mean, people would go to the front desk and pick up the products and pay for them and leave, but it was a cash base uh, 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 system. And, and that really, really worked out for them at the end of the year. Uh, it really added up. Well, when I joined my practice, I decided to do the same. And what we did was uh, added just a few products. We did a um, astringent foot soaks. Uh, I believe we used a, like a Pettyboro soak. Um, we did um, uh, uh, antibiotic cream, sulfur sulfadiazine cream. Um, we did uh, a 20% urea cream and uh, a moisturizing cream. Mm -hmm. And it just grew from there. We started doing more. Um, a lot of people couldn't uh, afford a pair of orthotics that was just a, a custom fabricated pair of orthotics was too expensive. So we introduced a good line of uh, over-the-counter uh, uh, prefabricated uh, orthotics. and. Mm -hmm that took off it was a you know a really nice for many patients bridge to a custom pair later when they could afford it or uh it was all they needed for their condition at that time so we would we would offer them what was best for the particular problem that they had um always knowing that um it, let's say they couldn't do the custom fabricated orthotic because of financial reasons or insurance didn't cover whatever the case may be they had a good plan b and we could offer it to them. They always appreciated it. People didn't and tend not to, to this day, want to go out and actually shop for what they're looking for. And it just grew from there. It's a, a wonderful um, way to serve your patients' needs and to add revenue for your office um, that's immediate. Mm -hmm. now, now, Bill, so, so when someone's just starting out, it sounds like you started with maybe three or four things and you got comfortable with it. And then and then it increased over time. Is that what you recommend for new people? Like, can it be overwhelming if you have too many things? Do you ever like get rid of the bottom 20, the 80, 20 rule, get rid of the bottom, the bottom portion? Cause you're not, they're just not going and, and you're just kind of sitting there. Exactly. Uh, everybody should start. You have to walk before you run. 
And so the best thing for you to do is to start with a few products that you know are going to be useful to your patient population based on where you practice and that will move. You don't need things expiring on the shelf. You don't want to carry things that are uh, uh, just going to be a burden to your practice because they're taking up room and they're not moving. So we, what we chose to do was just to pick the popular products that move into this day, they still do. Yeah. Um, things such as 20% urea cream, um, high quality moisturizers, which are available from a number of different vendors in podiatry, mm -hmm. um, a, a good pair of, uh, a good brand of uh, an orthotic, a ready-made orthotic, prefabricated orthotic. Um, you want to get some foot pads. Yeah, you, you, you can get uh, toe separators, uh, um, uh, uh, pads for the bottom of your feet, uh, uh, you know, felt pads, uh, aperture pads. Uh, we use a lot of these, uh, for instance, when we're treating patients um, who are having chemo cautery and they're having trouble walking because the um, uh, because the burning from the medication uh, makes it difficult. These pads will offload the site that you're treating. And we have a, a significant number of patients that purchase pads for that very reason or offloading even small ulcers and things such as that. So these are very useful, very clinically appropriate things to give to patients. Um, foot soaks, for sure. A lot of people soak after a PNA, so you can mm -hmm. use a, an astringent foot soak, and many readily available on the market today. Uh, and, and, and you can uh, purchase these. Um, you know, some people even, although we do everything in-house to this day, it really has worked well for us. And we do have a, a, a good system set up. Many people even choose to do this, um, uh, um, you know, through a, a website and where they can, uh, where they can uh, get somebody to you, fulfill their orders for them. And then they, they get a part of the profit. Yeah, there are a couple of online uh, sites that do that as well. Um, what about the doctor that says, you know, it, it's only two or three dollars. Why don't I just give them away? Why don't, why don't you know, I, some people think that if you offer too many things, then maybe you're spending all this time talking about a three dollar pad and you're not going to talk more time about a five hundred and fifty dollar orthotic. You know, they kind of get confused that way. Did you ever get into that? I know there's kind of a pendulum. Did you ever initially you talk about everything, but you don't really talk about like what's really the, the largest check or largest revenue producing thing, too? Yeah, I mean, really, it, it, it to me, it's all about. We'll, we'll talk. I will talk about a patient who, with a patient, about what is the most important thing for their treatment at that time. And yes, you can really get lost in the weeds, and that's a, a, going back to your, your your previous question about starting off with just a few things. Get good with the few things that you're starting off with. Sometimes the three or four dollar um, uh, uh, pad or et cetera, might be the more appropriate thing than the more expensive mm -hmm. uh, uh, orthotic. And so we'll start there with the patient uh, and, and for what's most clinically appropriate for them. Um, the other thing that we really run into, um, you know, is, is when it does get into too many things. So you really just focus on the thing that they need. It doesn't take long to present it to the patient um, and, and to just educate them. Our job is as a podiatric physician, really, it, it, the, one of the main functions we have when we walk into a treatment room with a patient is to educate them. You don't ever want a patient leaving your office without knowing what it is they have, how do you treat it, and about how long is it going to take for it to go away. 
And if you can answer those three questions for a patient each and every time and do it in a thorough fashion, I, you, you will get very few phone calls. That's good. And for those that are watching, a lot might have a lot of younger doctors that are still considering doing these things. And in an in a average practice, do you think it increases your bottom line 20,000, 30,000 a year, something like that, like a pretty big number like that? Well, it depends on how big your practice is and how much you talk about it with the patients. Mm -hmm. Remember, you talk about this with the patient one time and then it becomes recurring they come back and get more. They ask you about it. You don't have to educate them on it. it you may just have to ask, how are you doing with the cream? Do you think you need more? Uh, which will frequently um, give the answer of yes, I do. Uh, uh, yet, thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so patients are very accepting of this. It increases compliance. Um, they will come back. So it's a consumable, so to speak. And in a practice where you're seeing maybe, let's say 30 patients a day or even 20 patients a day, mm -hmm. let's use that as an example. It would be very easy for a single practitioner to increase their bottom line easily by $20,000, $30,000. And they wouldn't really have to work very hard at it. The key is you have to talk about it and you have to let people know what it is you have. Yeah, yeah Bill, if you don't uh, mind, there's a new kind of higher tech way for those that are listening. Uh, Amazon now has a call to influencers page. And basically there are some other podiatry specific ones, but on Amazon, if you have a page, you can put in diagnoses and different things that they buy. And not only do you get a percentage of what they buy, but if they're just randomly shopping and buy other stuff, you get that, that uh, percentage of that other thing as well. So there's some newer high tech ways of doing it as well. Uh, Don, you, you are the master of technology, I have to say. Uh, I like the technology. Look, look at what you're doing with this, uh, with this great uh, uh, recording in your YouTube channel, which yeah. by the way, I subscribed to and rang the bell. So you know, uh, using technology to your benefit with this is certainly an important part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, whether you're an influencer, um, you, you may decide you want to fulfill orders through mail with the patients. They can call or order on your website, do it through a, 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 a third party provider um, and expand your program at will. Carrying things in the office still works great. Yep. for your older population. They really like it. A lot of them still don't use the computer and smartphones. Um, and they like the, the get office type of uh, approach. The more, uh, uh, one of my mentors once said about uh, practice and marketing the practice and, and, and what, how do you get patients? And his key to success was really simple. Have if you're fishing, the way to catch fish is to have more poles in the water. And you just got to get a lot of poles in the water to get, and, and your in-office dispensing program or anything else is going to take off. That, that's great. That's great advice. More poles. And, and before we, we started this, Bill, you said that this in-office in dispensing then kind of led you to another type of a pole that's kind of insurance-based. Uh, tell us, a, tell a little bit about that. How was that transition from in-office dispensing to DME, durable medical equipment? Uh, years ago, uh, when I was uh, um, actively involved with the AAPPM, uh, we we were we we were really uh, 
we took off within office dispensing first. Uh, interestingly enough, I got a fair amount of pushback about it from uh, 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 some of the uh, members of the board back then, going back almost 25 years ago. They weren't doing it and people weren't really used to quote unquote selling something to a patient. They, they felt uncomfortable with it, didn't think that it was something that we might or should be doing. Um, I persisted because I knew it worked. I knew it was good. Um, I saw it work uh, it, 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 during my residency with the uh, attendings that were doing it. And I just, uh, I, I, I had it work in my own practice. Uh, so, you know, I, I got to give a lecture on in-office dispensing and it really did take off. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, and, and it took off very quickly in the entire profession. Uh, thanks to the AAPPM in many ways promoting it, and uh, and 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 Hal Ornstein really took it under his wing. Mm -hmm. um, during that whole time, um, we ended up uh, uh, we ended up finding, or he found us, uh, 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 Rich Levin, God rest his soul, and uh, he was from Florida, and he had an orthotist uh, and prosthetist uh, teach him how to do custom fabricated um, uh, durable medical equipment AFOs for his patients and how to expand into some prefabricateds as well mm -hmm. and how to appropriately use it, how to be compliant with its use and um, you know, how to um, uh, you know, choose the proper patients for this. So it was really, really rich came and educated all of us on durable medical equipment. And it was interesting, those of us who had a durable medical or who had a uh, in-office dispensing program in their office ended up doing really, really uh, well with it uh, because it was a nice segue. It was a product, it was something there. So at least the prefabricated items that, that, that we would carry. Um, and so uh, many of us even expanded into other areas uh, such as wound care, products, et cetera. And, and, and over the years, we brought other experts in those different areas, the prefabs, the custom fabricated and, and wound care into the academy uh, to teach our members uh, when to use it, how to properly use it, how to be compliant. So uh, it, and, and that to this day is uh, a, a big part of our practice and, and has really um, taken off. And I, I credit in-office dispensing uh, in helping us in how to manage products that we keep in our office. Mm -hmm. I, I think the transition from in-office dispensing and, and durable medical equipment, I think a lot of people, when they think of that, they only think of diabetic shoes. Mm -hmm. But there's there's so much more. There's the, the AFOs, there's braces, there's crow boots, there's other things like that, depending on your comfort level. But I think like you said before, Bill, you start with something simple, maybe like a night splint, and then you you build it up as you feel comfortable. And there's a lot of good, reputable companies that, that can get you those in the office. Oh, exactly, exactly. And uh, it, it really, it, it, it is such a huge part of patient care. Um, it makes it easy. And when you think about it, if you tell a patient to go out and order something online or to pick it up at the drugstore or whatever the case may be, what's the chances of that happening? What's the chances of a patient filling a prescription or even picking it up at the drugstore when it's there waiting for them. Uh, the, 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 the rate of non-compliance is, is very high. Mm -hmm. And so if they can get it from you, directly from you, with instructions from you, the easier we can make it for patients in 
anything that we do, the better. I, I, I'm, I'm total agreement. I'm total agreement. And so we've covered uh, the in-office dispensing. We've covered like the, the durable medical equipment. There's all, just kind of brush the surface. There's wound care, there's braces. And one thing that you've mentioned, I think is key right now is this whole compliance issue. And you, you can't just go start and do it because you're going to get audited. The money's going to get taken back, especially with Medicare. They have different ways of checking it. So I don't want to, this isn't a one, one and only lecture. You need to go somewhere where they can teach you or find someone that's doing it. Because uh, right now it's getting more and more difficult. There's these five-year rules now. And what have you, how have you seen DME specifically change in the last few years? Well, I, where I've seen it change, and, and to your point, Don, in the area of compliance, I mean, there is so much more that we have to do properly in order to comply. The paperwork has changed from, uh, uh, there were smaller changes and then they became larger and larger over time. Um, the same or similar is something you have to understand and you need to know whether or not a patient uh, has, has received a, an AFO that is the same or similar. And it's amazing what, what they think is same or similar. It's same or similar. They're not same or similar at all, but if the code is on the list, you have to comply. Um, you also have some very specific paperwork that has to be filled out. You have your standard written order, your proof of delivery. You have to get signatures in the right places. Um, and, and of course, you have to have compliant uh, 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 dictations. You have to have uh, uh, proper medical, you have to have medical necessity. And in some cases, it's diagnosis driven. But I, I think the thing that most people need to realize is, is that, that, that durable medical equipment is the retail arm of Medicare. It's, it, and so it's handled differently. And you have to follow a certain set of guidelines, which are called the 30 supplier standards. And you need to not only avail yourself of those 30 supplier standards and learn them and follow them, but you also have to actually give a copy of it to your patients when you, uh, when you dispense the products. I've just covered, this was a thumbnail sketch of the compliance that one has to um, follow. And again, as you said, this is not a course on compliance for yep. durable medical equipment whatsoever, but more a reminder to people who may be getting started, take a course, learn exactly what you need to do. There are many ways to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think we covered a good intro here, Bill. And and for those that are, are watching, a lot of them are going to be in practice. The whole goal is for people five years to 10 to 15 years, which is a good niche. And we asked you a few questions before that I'd like you to kind of address. And um, one thing I'd like you to talk about is what are some good ways to market um, your practice and, and grow your practice? I know, you know, this is kind of an area of passion as well. In the last few minutes we have here, if you were going to go back, Bill, and, and you've been in practice how many years now? 30 years. 30 years. If you go back 25 years and you were out for five years, what would you tell your 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 25 year younger self in terms of growing a practice, in terms of explaining things to patients? What are the real high points, the 80-20? What are the 20% of the things that really give you all the results over the last 25 years? Well, you, you've, I, I think number one, you, you have to get people in your chair. So you have to have people in front of you. So you have to have referrals. Uh, I think you did a, a wonderful interview with my good friend, Kristen Titko um, from Cincinnati. Yep. And she talked a lot about that. And it's, 
it, unfortunately during COVID, it's very difficult to get out and do face-to-face -face visits. But I, I would say get out and just be with the people. Talk to the, the, the referring doctors, go out and talk to groups, go out and, and it doesn't matter whether, you, if a group is in need of a, a talk about feet, give it to them. Don't worry about what referrals you will or won't get, you'll get plenty. Um, the other thing that I would say is, um, you know, when once you do start to get very busy, and trust me, you will. One thing for the younger practitioners that they should never ever forget: they're only going to be young and practice once in their life. Take full advantage of that time because your colleagues, your older colleagues, were there before, and they want you to be successful. They want to help you. They know what it's like to be starting out. Don't ever forget that because they, they, you, you have a, a golden opportunity in those first years of practice to really grow something special. Um, so it's really, in the end, you get to know the people and they will come to you. Um, I, I couldn't, I, I think that's probably the 80-20 right there. Yeah, I, I think, Bill, what you just said, you know, you can have all the in-office dispensing, you can have all the DME, but if you don't have anyone in your chair, you can't get, you can't dispense any of it. You can't, you know, exactly. given any of it, but what you said, and, and I want to take this to heart. Do you remember when I came and visited your office? I do. I do. I remember it well. Years ago. And, and if, if there's one word in what you just said, yeah, it's getting to know the doctors, but if you can visit doctors that are positive about the profession, it's going to be a day out of the office, but it's the best money spent that you could ever do. Visit the best doctors. And, and what I mean, the best, usually the most positive, you might be better at wound care, Another one might be better at surgery. Might be mother might be better at, at biomechanics. But go spend time. If I could say one thing, and, if, and I'm sure you 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 feel honored when people call you. When's the last time someone came and visited you? Has it been a while? Um, no, we we actually we have family practice residents with us. I wouldn't okay. call that a visit, but they come all the time. But podiatrists, and, uh, like some like if someone called you, Bill, you know, I've, I've been out a couple of years. I want to learn more about what you talked about. Could I come and visit for a half day? Yeah, we, we, we have people come all the time. I don't remember the exact time when they came last, but yep. we, get, we have several people coming uh, throughout the course of a year uh, to, to, to see us and visit our practice. And it's and exciting, it's, isn't it? I love it. I love it. When I, when I was, it's less now, but when I was involved on the board with the academy, uh, I, I would get a, a, a fair amount more than we're entertaining right now, but we would get lots of people coming to visit us and wanted to know things. And I was happy to share whatever I could. I'd share with the guy right down the street from me who one might consider to be their, their competitor because someday they just might be your partner. You know, and, and there's no, I don't know, you could be competition, but if we help one another and when they visit, you learn something from them as well. It's always this camaraderie. And, and that's where I try to put together this, um, the interviews, but we're doing these group sessions where we kind of get together and share good ideas. And it, it's the only thing that we had that was the best part about the, the academy is you, you meet and you talk. That's where, the, that's where the real power comes out. That was our signature thing with the meetings is to get in those breakout groups and then get back together and discuss what happened. Yeah. The smaller groups engender more conversation from those who might not be speaking in a bigger group. And it's those people in the group that have the wonderful ideas that we all can learn from. That's great. Well, I think we covered a lot, Bill. Uh, I really appreciate you being a guest. I, I'm sure I'd like to have you back, talk about another topic, but uh, that's enough for today. So thank you so much. I'd love to come back, Don, anytime. And thank you. Thank you very much for having me and for what you're doing here for the profession. Thanks.